Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Earlier this month, the European Union convened in Brussels a meeting of representatives of mostly Arab and European nations and organizations, along with the United States and Japan. The agenda had to do with the humanitarian situation in Syria and the country's political future, as well as the deter- determination excuse me, to keep fighting Daesh, which is the Arabic acronym for ISIL. Nevertheless, absent from this conference were three major players in the deadly Syrian game, Russia, Iran, and Israel. The complex relationship in this triangle and its impact on Bashar al-Assad's regime in Damascus is the topic of discussion for today's program. And to help us untangle this web, we are joined from central Israel by Colonel in Reserve Miri Eisen, who is a TV7 part and play co-panelist, Israeli public diplomacy, security, and intelligence expert at the ICT at Reichman University. Thank you for joining us, Colonel. Hello. Also joining us uh, here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the Syrian complexity, if you will, but we would like also to focus on one of those relationships, that is the relationship between Tehran and Damascus, and the perspective from Moscow on the one hand and Jerusalem on the other. So expect, uh, except for the um, Syrian opposition, there is a surprising consensus now regarding the uh, survivability of Bashar Assad's regime. Not only um, that it is apparent that he is going to survive, but also that uh, most of the uh, players in this arena are for it. Even those who consider him a war criminal, who uh, used brutal means to suppress uh, his own population, they believe that this is the least bad option for him uh, to stay on. The uh, former deputy chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Forces, Major General Eyal Zamir, has just published uh, a paper uh, for the Washington Institute for Near East uh, Policy. And uh, one of his uh, recommendations is indeed to keep Bashar in power and forego the dreams of either toppling him or uh, dissecting Syria into various districts, uh, provinces, or cantons. And that means that because he... Bashar has been propped by uh, Russia, Iran, Hezbollah. There is right now no one else to keep the country or whatever is left of it together. Now, within this framework, Israel is adamant that the uh, Iranians not entrench themselves, not use it as a launching pad against it, against Israel, and not transport uh, lethal uh, weapons, especially uh, precision-guided uh, munitions to Hezbollah in Lebanon. And while Israel keeps striking at these uh, targets, it may uh, get into some friction with Russia. So uh, there is the day-to-day or night-to-night operations, as well as the longer-range 
uh, talks about the future of Syria. Indeed. I'd like to ask you, Colonel Eisen, when we're talking about the complexity of this arena, uh, obviously Israel needs to keep a keen eye on its enemies, which are entrenching militarily along its northern front. But at the same time, it, it does uh, maintain a deconfliction mechanism with Moscow, which uh, obviously has interests of its own. But uh, we saw last week uh, during a alleged Israeli strike on uh, uh, Maisaf. Uh, there was talk about specifically research and development uh, installations of uh, statistical missiles being then transformed into precision-guided munitions. There was talk specifically then in this circumstances of an S-300 uh, surface-to-air battery that did shoot a salvo of a number of interceptors to try and intercept uh, those aircraft, uh, which no one has claimed responsibility for, but Damascus obviously attributes uh, responsibility to Israel. Uh, is this a signal from Moscow to Jerusalem, if indeed those were Israeli aircraft, that uh, the equation of the current reality on the ground has changed? When has life for Israel with Russia in Syria, with Iran in Syria, with Hezbollah in Syria, when has life ever been less than complicated? So I want to renew for our viewers a little bit of my old memory. During this last decade of horrific violence inside Syria, of Syrians trying to overthrow Bashar, and pretty much from the beginning, lots of other forces, including the Islamic State, and Al-Qaeda is separate from the Islamic State, and additional jihadi Sunnis against Hezbollah and Iranians, such a, you know, the bad, the, the, the challenging against the challenging Russia, has always been in the background. That is not something new. Russia has had bases in Syria, on the Mediterranean Sea, bases that are very important for Russia for dozens of years. In around four years ago, there was an airplane that was a Russian airplane that was downed by Syrian surface air missiles when it was clear cut that the Syrians had knocked down a Russian plane. And then, Jonathan, Russia blamed Israel, even though it was not us and everybody knew it was not us. So when I look at what's happening right now, I'm looking at it as the more complicated of the same. Russia on the one hand right now, isolated in the world, Putin taking enormous um, decisions in a world that is totally against what he's doing in the Ukraine. And he, Russia, needs Syria under Bashar in its own way more than he ever needed in the past. So if he needs Bashar there, he still doesn't want to confront Israel. I always think that Israeli know-how are um, alleged different attacks, surface to surface. And Amir, you said night attacks. And again, just a week ago, there were full day attacks, including by tanks into the Syrian territory against Hezbollah targets, against Iranian targets, and very nearby are Russians. So it's a complex game. And I think that Russia would still like, as Russia, to hold up, sorry, all the cards to make it difficult for Israel. But they're not yet, I think, at the stage that they're actually going to be trying to confront us openly and stopping our preemptive attacks throughout the Syrian territory against Iran and against Hezbollah. 
Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like also to uh, ask you specifically, there was a trip by Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. This was his second time that uh, since the, the outbreak of, of the Syria conflict, he traveled to Tehran to meet with uh, his new counterpart, obviously, uh, new relatively, uh, Ibrahim Raisi and the Supreme Leader uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, during which he voiced confidence not only about cooperation between Syria and Iran diminishing Israeli influence in the region, but also that uh, there is a, a consistent need for Iran to increase its presence in Syria and to deepen its cooperation with the Damascus regime, something that, of course, comes at the, the back heels of uh, a partial Russian withdrawal in order to divert troops from the Middle East and elsewhere for its current endeavors in Ukraine. Do you see this uh, current shift, if you will? The sands are shifting all the time in this region, but the shift when we're talking about uh, the, the posture of the different countries um, going to impact Israel's ability to contend with the current uh, reality at hand, or is it going to even increase its activity in order to prevent uh, one of its its clearest and most vocal red lines, and that is Iran will not entrench militarily along its northern front? The trip from Damascus to Tehran is a relatively short one. But nevertheless, uh, the fact that uh, Assad uh, dared go abroad leave Syria, displays some sort of confidence that uh, he will have um, a capital to go back to, that uh, there will not be a coup uh, while he is away, that uh, he can still rely on um, a small cabal of uh, confidants. Um, and as for the uh, substance uh, of his talks, yes, there is um, um, a lot of mutual interests between the uh, current leaderships of Iran and Syria. The Iranians uh, also want uh, a hand at the reconstruction of Syria once the uh, civil war is over. They want uh, to make some money, um, but the Russians uh, do too. And uh, what is most important for the Russians are those bases uh, which Miri just mentioned, the, uh, on the Mediterranean the uh, naval base at uh, Latakia and, and Tartus, and the uh, air base at Khamimim, which is quite close to, uh, to the naval bases. And if you look at what the Russians are doing in the Ukraine, the emphasis they put on uh, the Black Sea, on the uh, uh, eastern part and southernmost part of the Ukraine, it all ties in with their maritime uh, doctrine, of going uh, south from um, or through the Black Sea, through the uh, Straits, uh, which are controlled by Turkey, and then to the Mediterranean, where their only base is a Syrian one, which is why they will not give it up. And it is less important for them how many uh, boots on the ground they have there. And yes, it's true. They, they took out perhaps not their own regular soldiers, but the so-called Wagner Group uh, mercenaries, uh, which they uh, had there. Uh, there is a point where um, Russian and Iranian interests do not converge, but uh, can be in a collision course. And Israel uh, could uh, perhaps maneuver 
so that uh, Russia is more allied with it than with Iran. Colonel Eisen, how do you take that? I'm looking right now and remembering, Jonathan, you started by talking about the EU meeting in Japan and about the humanitarian crisis that's in, that's in Syria and has been for the last decade. And the world is so focused right now on the Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis of what's happened over the last few months, Russia against Ukraine. But for a moment, I want to zoom out. Neither Russia nor Iran, as far as I understand, have the economic capabilities to invest and rebuild Syria. Syria is a destroyed country. And if you do not rebuild Syria, all of the challenges and the woes, not just Hezbollah and Shiite troops under Iran and additional jihadi um, factions, but just the locals will yet again bring about that destabilizing aspect, which is not good, not for Russia, not for Bashar, and in its own way, not for Israel. So who will come and invest and help rebuild that Syria that's so destroyed. And I'd like to add in that the EU, I don't think they're gonna do so now just because of Ukraine, Japan perhaps, but the one country that none of us like to talk about right now, China would have the capabilities and the economic know-how because it's very much the need to rebuild a country of 20 million people, that their infrastructure, it's a modern country that still has enormous challenges of no electricity, no plumbing, no running water. Yes, inside the city of Damascus, but Syria is a very large country. And so I'm wondering at the end, who's going to be the outer force? Because Syria cannot do this on its own. And I don't think that Russia and Iran can do so. Indeed, of course, uh, a memorandum of understanding was signed between uh, Beijing and Damascus just uh, uh, this past year. And, and there is talk about, of course, the Road and Belt Initiative and much more than that. But uh, we're having uh, another colleague join uh, the discussion today, Colonel and Reserve Dr. Hanan Webe, uh, who is a senior fellow at uh, ICT at Reichman University as well, uh, and a lecturer at Haifa University. Uh, Colonel, thank you for joining us as well. I'd like to actually voice a statement uh, or a quote uh, by Israeli Defense Minister uh, Benny Gantz, who earlier this week spoke at Reichman University with regard to specifically uh, matters related to Ukraine, but from a defensive perspective also to additional angles, and he elaborated on a potential all-out war between uh, Iran and uh, the state of Israel, of course, uh, uh, hoping that we won't come to that, but uh, we, we know that the likelihood, unfortunately, is high when we're talking about uh, Iranian-Israeli friction. And with regard to Syria in particular, he said, in Syria, also during these days, attempts of smuggling and manufacturing of precision munitions persists. Israel will do everything possible to prevent these attempts for the purpose of thwarting a future threat against our citizens and the citizens of this region. Uh, he, of course, continues to speak also about uh, the multiple challenges related to Iran with regard to Syria. But I'd like to ask you, Colonel, uh, when when we're looking at this area of, of responsibility, if you will, from Israel's Northern Command to the Israeli Air Force to cooperation with uh, U.S. forces in Al-Tanf and, and other areas uh, within Syria, is the, the current complexity going to exacerbate in the near future are we going to be uh, seeing a certain 
escalation now that Russia is somewhat diminishing its troops in favor of Iranian forces? Yes, good afternoon to you. Um, I, I really can see that in this, this order that we are watching right now, or maybe shifting from one uh, political regional order to another, uh, together with the, the, uh, the crisis, I would say, of the leadership of the world right now, that the, what we are seeing in Europe, in Ukraine, uh, and the ramifications for the stability uh, politically, economically in the world, everything is very sensitive at this stage. Uh, and when we look at the Middle East, uh, the regional countries are right now uh, trying to relocate themselves uh, in, in front of this new reality, reality. And between Israel and Iran, all the region is some kind of buffer zone of hybrid states that are not strong enough with the governability inside, like Syria and, the, and, the, and Iraq. And the, uh, in this sense, uh, Iran is exploiting, has been exploiting, exploiting uh, this situation for the expansion and the deployment of its forces for arming Hezbollah that can uh, lead to more threat uh, on Israel, uh, the, the, the national security, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 interest of Israel as well as the neighboring countries. Uh, uh, now, America uh, is trying somehow to avoid this clash at this stage in order to, first of all, achieve some kind of uh, agreement with Iran, uh, especially this administration, the Democratic administration. But unfortunately, Iran is still playing the bad guy game and still pushing forward ahead with the new reactors and they continue, of course, to, to arm its allies and continue to threat Israel. Uh, um, uh, and uh, we could see lately, uh, uh, and it's very uh, unique, that the Lebanese voices in the election yesterday are closer to the statement of the Israeli state. They both, as well as other uh, neighboring Arab countries, they do not want Iran to stay because they do understand that stability of the region and hope for the whole nations here should be without Iran and without this strategy of Iran. Now, not to forget, however, we're speaking about uh, the elections that took place on, on Monday. Uh, the, the diminishing power of Hezbollah in parliament was significant that it lost its majority, but not significant enough that it lost all of its power because it only lost 10 seats from 71 to 61, if I'm not mistaken, which uh, indicates, of course, that Iran still maintains its political power, quote-unquote, or public support within the Shiite communities. And at the same time, we see also other angles that, uh, of course, uh, have to do with corruption and, and uh, have uh, been fueled within the Arab sector, of course, not only in Lebanon, but uh, elsewhere. Um, elections are not always uh, very, very monitored in, in a way that they should be. But I'd like to bring you into uh, this uh, point of discussion, Mr. Oren, when we're talking about uh, Syria. Of course, uh, U.S. intelligence defined Iraq as uh, the battleground between Iran and, and the United States, but at the same time, Israel regards Syria more so uh, than any other place, including Iraq, which is somewhat more uh, at a distance, even though all areas 
that uh, pose a threat to the Jewish state will be areas that uh, the Israeli defense establishment will contend with. Uh, nonetheless, we do understand also the humanitarian implications to such a reality, uh, something that uh, also Colonel Eisen just mentioned earlier. To what degree is Israel able to assist from a humanitarian perspective, uh, the, the Syrians who are not part and uninvolved in this whole uh, campaign, either by the Assad regime or the regime in Tehran? Israel um, has already, um, for uh, almost a decade, uh, tried to, to help those uh, Syrians who came to the border asking for help. Israel uh, cannot uh, offer them help which will get them in trouble because uh, they will be depicted by the regime as collaborators. But it can and uh, does uh, give them help once they, they ask for it. Now, by saying that Israel uh, will now prefer uh, Bashar Assad staying in power, Israel has lost some of its ambiguity. It was a positive, it was an asset for it to be ambiguous because that helped her um, threaten Assad that if he doesn't control or limit Iranian aggression against Israel from his territory, Israel will try to topple him. Now it is obvious that Israel will not act against its own best interest by doing so. However, even at the time when uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad met with uh, the foreign minister of the UAE, as well as the leader himself, and, and uh, received uh, certain rapprochement towards the Arab League, which Israel has certain relations with? Yes, but um, it's multifaceted, of course. Um, security first. If Israel is attacked by Iran and um, Assad uh, is willing to accept that, Israel could act against him, but of course it cannot do it as long as the Russians are uh, mentoring him. However, it's very noteworthy that earlier this week, the uh, new uh, commanding general of CENTCOM, the Central Command, uh, General uh, Michael Eric Kurilla, who just took office a few weeks ago, already has visited Israel and was given a royal treatment uh, almost as if he was a member of the Israeli general staff. He was in not only um, uh, taking part in serious discussions with the heads of Israeli military intelligence operations and uh, planning, but he also uh, watched from the nerve center of the IDF um, an exercise uh, named Chariots of Fire in which Israeli doctrine and operational planning were put to the test, which means that an American general was given an exclusive peek into Israeli operational planning. This is unheard of that uh, a foreign, even a friendly um, senior officer is given that much uh, inside information. And it only goes to show you that uh, the CENTCOM commander. Maybe he wasn't observing the Israeli troops in this scenario. Well, it's not really troops, you know, it's uh, mostly headquarters uh, and staff officers, but he's in charge of Syria, of Lebanon, of Iraq, Iran, 
and Egypt, uh, in addition to Israel. So that, that tells you that the United States is still here to stay in the region and cooperating very closely with Israel. Absolutely. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to have a, really a short analysis, if uh, you will. Colonel Eisen, we'll start with you. What are we expected for the near future vis-a-vis Syria? I think that Syria is not yet stabilized and that the destabilizing factors, it can be Hezbollah, it can be the Iranian Shiite troops inside Syria. A destabilized Syria is bad news for Israel, for Lebanon, for Iraq, for Turkey, for Jordan, for that matter, the countries that surround it, but also for the Israel-Russian relationship. And we need to take note that destabilizing is very scary for Israel as well. Do you see the the results of the elections in Lebanon impacting the situation in its eastern neighbor as well? We look at Syria and forget that for so many decades, Lebanon was Syria's backyard. So Syria in the last 10 years has one million Syrian refugees that are destabilizing Lebanon. They did not participate in the elections that took place there now. They are in Lebanon, and that is part of the destabilizing factors, both of the Lebanese economy and that impact on Syria. It's very hard to disconnect the two. Colonel Wehbe, how do you see the the near future? Do you see it in the same light as, as your colleague, Colonel Eisen? Yeah, quite closer, I must say. Uh, we should understand and, they, and they, uh, see that the American forces in Tanith uh, are one thing, and the Russian role in Syria is another thing. And uh, I think that we are still have a lot of common ground of interest, uh, the Israeli state, the Lebanese state, as well as the Russians, uh, they do not want Iran in. They want to stabilize uh, Syria. Uh, Syria. They want to be the mediators in this uh, 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 new political order in the region. Uh, uh, this role might be very important for the Russian at this stage, especially when they are facing the sanctions in uh, uh, vis America and the, uh, all the uh, the uh, war in the Europe. Caesar regime yeah. sanctions. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the, the statements of the European countries, they still have a lot in common with Israel, and Israel uh, must uh, keep this card in its hands. Um, and the, now the Lebanese for, uh, voices are very important also. We are watching a shifting from one political, regional political order to another, and they, at this stage, we must be very careful and to choose the next steps wisely. There was a a time when Israel was deterred uh, from uh, striking in Syria, but not in Lebanon. Now it's the other way around. Israel strikes at will. Uh, targets in Syria, not necessarily Syrian targets, Iranian targets, but Israel does not do it in Lebanon. Lebanon is still the most explosive uh, flashpoint, and there is a lot of difference between the actual and the potential. Not to forget the former Air Force uh, commander here in Israel, uh, Amikam Nolkin, he spoke about uh, the fact that Israel may have lost some of its uh, freedom of uh, maneuver from an aerial perspective in Lebanon, but this is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Colonel Eisen, Colonel Wehbe, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's program, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.